If you stand with me, we're going to read today's passage from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 16. Be Luke 16. Verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful... And that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Word of God. Please be seated. Money is good in itself, but it's powerful. It's a tool, but it's a powerful tool, and it can be dangerous. It can dominate you, ruin you, um, uh, take over your life in many ways. Money can become a rival to God in the human heart. In fact, the main rival in the human heart uh, for God is money. Um, And so not surprisingly, perhaps, Jesus said so much about money. He has 39 stories, parables. About a third of them, third to a fourth, uh, deal with money in some way. This is considered the most difficult of all of his parables on money, and probably the most important of all of his parables on money. Now, the first half of this parable, uh, the first half of the passage is, is the story itself, the parable, and the second half are principles about money and money matters. And uh, we're basically going to ask, you know, what must we understand about God's wisdom for money? If money is, is a tool, is it something good, something that should be a source of uh, joy and help and advancing the kingdom and having joy in our lives, uh, but it becomes something that so often is, a, is, a, is something of, of frustration and even bondage. You know, we need to understand God's wisdom. Now, let me just say a couple of things, just by sort of way preface before I dive into the parable. First of all, uh, just really encourage you to, to not be nervous or um, 
Uh, just um, it, oftentimes when I speak on money, uh, half the folks out there are a little bit like deer in the headlights. Just get a little bit stiff and just want to encourage you to relax. You know, God wants good for you. He wants good for us. And, and all that he's got for us in the Bible is good for us. Secondly, I want to say this. You are a very generous congregation. You are. Thank you. Thank you. You are so generous. Thirdly, if you are here and you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, please understand, God wants you to receive the, most, the greatest gift of all. He is not concerned with your giving. He is concerned with your receiving the incredible free gift of life in Jesus Christ. And I just encourage you, do that today. Do that today. So the parable that I just read, let me just remind you of some of the basics. Starts with this wealthy man who is an owner. He's got a manager, kind of an operations manager who runs his stuff, his operations. Gets word that this uh, manager is misusing his responsibility. Calls him in, fires him. And says, get your accounts together. So he's got a little bit of wiggle room before he loses his job completely. And he is a little bit panic-stricken. You know, what am I going to do? Uh, can't, can't beg, not going to dig. And, and then it hits him. Oh, I know what I'll do. And he begins calling his master's debtors in one at a time and makes them a great offer, a very generous offer. You know, how much do you owe? And he slashes how much he owes them. By the way, Jewish society at this time, they did not charge interest to fellow Jews. Uh, but they, a lot of them got around that by... Uh, loaning in commodities like wheat and oil rather than in cash, and then he did charge interest. So perhaps there's a lot of interest in that. And by the way, 100 measures of oil is a lot of money. 100 measures of wheat in that, in that day was a lot of money. And of course, here in Houston, we think oil, we automatically think, you know, real oil. Uh, but for them, they didn't have oil in Israel. It was olive oil. So, uh, you know, not our kind of oil. So big slashing of their income. And um, why is he doing this? Well, remember, so they will receive me into their houses. So, you know, I, he'll not only have, you know, he had one kind of sponsor, uh, and now he's getting fired, but now he's got a bunch of friends around who will make, take care of him, maybe be kindly disposed toward him. But the shocker is the response of the owner. He finds out what has happened, and rather than being upset about it, he commends him, you know, I've got to hand it to you. You were shrewd in the way you handle things there. He, in verse 8, he says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Not for his dishonesty, for his shrewdness. What's he commending? And why is Jesus telling us this story? Because the parable really ends right there. And the rest of it is really Jesus commenting and uh, talking about these principles. What does this mean, shrewdness? Do you recall what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, when he said to his disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. That's kind of a striking, pretty famous quote that Jesus said. Jesus wants us to be shrewd, shrewd as serpents, not evil in any way, innocent as doves, but shrewd as serpents. Here in this passage, uh, that's the first principle. Be shrewd. Be shrewd. Be shrewd in the way you handle money. 
Be shrewd in the way you handle money for the future. What's he saying? What's he not saying? To be shrewd means you are practical, street smart, acute, sharp-headed. You know, you're kind of sharp with things. Jesus, that's a good thing. You know, it's, it's a little bit more like uh, common sense rather than book learning. My wife has more common sense than I do. We've both known that for years. And uh, it's a little bit more like, you know, just street smarts, practical, common sense, sharp with things. Be shrewd with those things. Be shrewd in the way you handle money. Let me give you an example of shrewdness that's not in the financial arena. True story happened in Oregon. A woman principal who was shrewd. Daryl, you could relate to this fellow principal. She had some middle school girls who would go to the bathroom, put on their lipstick, and then they would leave their kiss prints all over the mirror. And it's just hard to clean off. It just took time as a hassle. So she asked, kept asking the, the girls, you know, would you stop putting your kiss prints on the mirror? Hard to clean up. They wouldn't do it. You know, they thought this was fun. So one day she called them into the bathroom with her and asked the custodian to join them in there. And she again explained, you know, it's hard to get these kiss prints off. Would y'all please stop? I want to demonstrate how hard it is to get it off. And she turns to the custodian who had a long handled brush and ask him to demonstrate. He walks over to the toilet, dips his brush in the toilet, and begins trying to scrape off the, the, the kiss prints. Took care of the problem. <laughs> Never again a kiss print. That is shrewd. Shrewd. Not bad, not evil. There's nothing evil about shrewd. It's just kind of street smarts, practical, acute, hard-headed wisdom. Jesus comes to money, a tool, and he says, be street smart with it. And you're handling your money, and you're handling your money for the future. Be shrewd. Now, you might be thinking at this time, Warren Buffett. I mean, good investments like Warren Buffett does. You know, that's what Jesus is telling us. You know, here's kind of the model. He is actually not thinking about Warren Buffett. He's thinking about something much bigger, much more long-term. He's thinking about eternity. And that becomes clear in the rest of the passage that he is talking about when you give to the kingdom of God to reach people for the kingdom, that you are storing up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you store up treasures in heaven. We're not sure exactly what those treasures are. There's some kind of meaningful rewards, though. Jesus talks about it time after time. Uh, what, What would those rewards be? You know, you get into the kingdom as a free gift, as I've already said, but depending on how you live your life here for Christ or not. Every good thing you do for Christ, there's some reward in heaven, including your giving. Is it intimacy with the Lord? Is it your, your closeness with Him? Is it your, uh, the opportunities to serve Him? We don't know for sure, but they matter. And, and what Jesus says in this passage on, par- on, on parable is, be shrewd in investing your money for eternity. Because it's going to make a difference. Now, we'll see more of what he means. Second principle, be generous. Now, the, the, the manager here, the shrewd manager, when he sat down with these debtors, uh, he was generous in slashing their debt, wasn't he? But you think, yeah, he was generous, but he was generous with somebody else's money. Exactly. And that's the point for us. We, when we are generous, we are generous with somebody else's money. Isn't all that we own, doesn't the Bible teach it belongs to God? Yes, that is 
That is at the heart of the biblical teaching, that all that we have is a gift from God and really belongs to God. You know, that's real clear with our children. When we do the child dedications, I just about always remind us that these parents know they don't own these kids. They have a trust to raise these kids. They belong to God. That is true not only of our children. That is true of our house, car, money, investments, health, everything. Everything we got, we hold it in trust for God. It's His. We are generous with somebody else's money. Now, God is the most generous person in the universe. The measure of His generosity is a cross. You know, not a tithe, not 10%. He gave everything to give His Son. That is the measure of generosity. God is a giver. He's a big-hearted giver. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the more we become like God, the more generous we will become. You know, we want to make disciples at Wood's Edge. That's our vision. That means we need to be disciples. And disciples are those folks who are becoming more and more like Jesus over a period of time. Well, Jesus is generous. That's one of his traits. Uh, Somebody said it this way, the the longer you look at Jesus, the more generous you're going to become. And the more giving you're doing to God, the more like Jesus you're going to become. It just goes together. Jesus is the most generous person in the universe. So, first principle, be shrewd with your money for the future. Secondly, be generous. Thirdly, uh, underscoring this implicit principle, you are a manager, not an owner. Now, that was clear from verse 1 in the passage that, you know, there is an owner, but that uh, shrewd manager, he didn't own a thing. He just managed resources. Now, friends, this is perhaps the most uh, basic foundational principle of that money in the Bible. You don't own any of it. It all belongs to God. But you've got to trust. You've got to trust. You've got to use God's assets wisely. Part of that, not all of it, but part of using God's assets wisely is our generosity, that we give generously to God. Now, this is the perspective of faith. Bible-believing followers of Christ just have this deep in their hearts, it's not mine, it's God's. For example, 1 Chronicles 29, David was raising money for the temple. He's raising a lot of money. He couldn't build the temple, but at least he got to raise the money for it, and he was excited about that. And there was a dedication ceremony, and he is just so excited about this. And I'm going to pick up his prayer midway. In verse 14, he says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly, that we should be able to give so generously as we're able to give? He says, For all things come from you, and out of your own have we given you. Now, both halves of that statement are about stewardship. Everything we've got comes from you. And all that we give, you own it. He says, everything we're given, it already belongs to you. We're just giving back to you. And then he says, for we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. Now, what he said in that passage was four times, sojourner, stranger, no abiding. Our days are brief. He's saying, your life is so brief here. It all belongs to God. You just manage it for a short time. A hundred years from now, will you own your property? You've got a, maybe you've got a ranch in Texas. Does that belong to you? Well, in a hundred years, it'll be very clear that didn't belong to you. You just managed it for a season. Somebody else took it. Even, even the uh, television show Downton Abbey, uh, I forget if that's a good show. And I even, um, I don't know if this is a regular part of that sort of pre, prequel as they're building into it. 
Or if he just said, I think he just said it in one time, the uh, Lord, whatever his name is, of the manor. He, he said, you know, I don't own this. It's just, a, I hold it in trust. And I, I was just so struck by that. You I mean, here's this secular guy, he gets stewardship. He just holds it in trust for a season, a generation, and passes it on to the next generation. He gets it. That's the perspective of faith. And David closes this little section I'm reading in 16. Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. All belongs to you. Just comes from you. When you give back to God, you're giving what he's already given to you and it belongs to him. When uh, John Paul, our son, was uh, very young, a preschooler, we were at an Astros game. And uh, he wants Skittles. Being a generous father, sometimes, I buy him some Skittles. Uh, I'm watching him eat these Skittles later, and I think, man, I want some of those Skittles. So I ask him, John Paul, give me some Skittles. Man, he just got so possessive. You know, he just thought, man, these are mine. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, with, with reluctance, he gave me some Skittles. Well, I bought the Skittles. I own the Skittles. And I just gave them to him. Now, for a four-year-old boy, that's okay. It is not for a 40-year-old man or a 50-year-old woman to take your Skittles, mine. It ain't yours. It belongs to God. He gave them to you. You have them in trust. You give back as a privilege, just like David talked here. Church, let me just say this. This stewardship mentality, it is basic to understanding financial freedom. And there's a lot of financial bondage. Average household credit card debt in America is $15,000 a household. It's incredible, atrocious. Believers ought to have zero credit card debt. Pay off that credit card at the end of every month. Use God's money while Be shrewd in using God's money. So you have more access, not only to enjoy life, but to give to the kingdom. Get help if this is an area of bondage. It's, it, this is a difficult area for the economy, the, 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 the fluent lifestyle that we live in. Uh, get help. Take Financial Peace University. Read the books of Dave Ramsey. You know, let, let us uh, know. Let us have you sit down with somebody who can help you. Experience the freedom, the adventure, the joy of what this area should be. So thirdly, you're a steward, not an owner. You manage the apartment complex. You don't own it. Okay, number four, money is a tool to reach people for the kingdom. Now, the, the, the following principles, uh, Jesus is going to elaborate this sort of thing. Verse 9, he says, and I tell you. Now, whenever you see a statement like that, he is really emphasizing this point. And I tell you. Verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Did you get that? You make friends with unrighteous mammon. I mean, you know, it's just a tool. But you use it to make friends for eternity so that one day they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He's talking about heaven here. He also says, so that when that money fails, it will fail you know, those of us who lived through the 2008 recession, you know, in a few weeks, you lost a third of your income if you had it invested in the market, perhaps. It failed. But the moment you die, it fails completely. How much good will your money do a moment after you die? 
Zero. Zero. It will fail. So this is what would be shrewd. If you're a follower of Christ, if you know that uh, uh, you're living for eternity, not for this time, this world, you're going to take part of your income that God has given you and trusted with you, and you're going to be investing it for eternity. You're going to make friends for Christ. You're going to invest in the kingdom in eternity. Luke Crane, in the announcement, said that there are 34 children getting baptized this, this afternoon. Now, if you're a part of the Woods Edge family, you come here, you give here, you bring your tithe here, you love here, you care here, you pray here, you have made friends with those 34 kids. You're a part of that. You have a share in that. You don't know them personally, but you had a share in reaching those 34 kids. We've got a dear couple in the Middle East, Chris and Jamie Hatlin. Some of you know them. Three little kids. They're living in the Middle East. They've been there for some time. This is their church home. We sent them out. We pray for them. We support them. We care about them. We love them. Anything they do in the Middle East, you've got a stake in it. You've got a share in it. Uh, this past February, I meet, meet a 25-year-old man from Lebanon, Muslim background. And Chris Hantler had led him to the Lord. And he loves Jesus. I mean, it's the sincere faith. He's got a little bit of a difficult situation, a dangerous situation. His family, some distant cousins have tried to kill him. We might bring him over to the United States for a few years and just get a little safety there. But here is a man, a young man, who knows the love and grace of God partly because of your prayers and your giving and your investment here. That's winning friends. That's making friends. You don't know this man. You don't know Ali, but uh, maybe one day in heaven. You will be meeting scads of people from Malawi, from Ecuador, from Madrid, from the Middle East, and, and other places all over Greater Houston. Hey, you don't know me, but you made friends with me. You helped reach me for the kingdom because you're part of Wood's Edge. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. You make friends with your money. You invest in something that will uh, last forever. Make your money as a tool to reach people for the kingdom. Fifthly, be a faithful manager of God's money. Now, beginning in verse 10, for three verses in a row... He's going to talk about being faithful, being faithful, being faithful. Verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Do you hear what he just said? If you're faithful, we're talking about money. We're talking about investing money in the kingdom. If you're faithful in what you've got now, you'll be faithful in a whole lot. If you're not faithful in a little, you're not going to be faithful in a whole lot. Uh, Some of you, maybe say you make $20,000 a year. You're hurting financially. You're struggling, and you think to yourself, man, if I made 200000 that'd be no problem. It'd be easy to be given. The Bible says, you know, don't kid yourself. If you're not faithful right now, you're not going to be faithful with a lot. Some of you are counting on winning the lottery. I mean, you're counting on it, but you're hoping to win the lottery. You think, man, I'll be generous then. If you're not faithful now, you're not going to be faithful winning the lottery. That's what Jesus, I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. Whatever you're going to do for Jesus Christ, do it right now. However little or however much you've got, don't kid yourself about your true heart. Money is, shows you where your heart is. Be faithful right now with a little. Verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Now look, some of you guys have a lot of money. Some of you women have a lot of money. Great. Thank God for it. But understand, that's not the true riches. Don't pat yourself on the back too much. The true riches are the souls of men and women, boys and girls, that we get to invest in to reach for eternity. That's the true riches. That's what we really value. And then one more. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? I mean, right now, that money you got, that's God's. 
be faithful in that. And then one day in heaven, in some sense, you're going to have true riches that belong to you. Probably spiritual relationships. And then finally comes to the climactic verse, this strong statement. Jesus said these radical statements. In verse 13, he says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God money. Now, this is one of those passages that uh, the, the lines are drawn so sharply. You can't have, you know, just a little bit of love for God, a little bit of love for money. It doesn't say, uh, don't love God and money. It says you cannot love God and money. Not really. You're going to be devoted to one or the other. Now, church, it would be impossible for us to live, I think, in our society, our affluent economy, and not struggle with this to some extent. All of us. Me too. I mean, just the affluence. Uh, it's unheard of in world history. The, uh, the percentage of wealth that the United States has. Um, we're just dealing with a lot. And as people have wisely pointed out, it's much easier to handle uh, failure than it is to handle success. And I know that's not true of everybody. But to think that we live in this economy and we don't struggle at all with this issue of greed and loving money is probably a bit naive. And Jesus is saying, look, money is a tool, but it is a cruel master. And he's a demanding one, and he can ruin your life. And so many marriages have been ruined. So many lives have been ruined. And Jesus said, don't love it. Don't love it. Do you love money? To what extent do you love money? Well, I don't know. But here are some signs, I'd say. If you are always thinking about how to make more and more money, that's a red flag. If you are always thinking about buying more and more stuff, bigger and bigger stuff, so that that's kind of like your comfort food. You know, that's how you get your comfort. You go buy a few things. Uh, red flag. Um, you got debt out of whack. Red flag. Um, but you know, uh, those are red flags, but there is an acid test. And you know what it is. It's your giving. It's clear teaching in the Bible that your giving shows you where your heart really is. If you live in this economy and God doesn't have at least a tenth of your income, big red flag. At least a tenth, a biblical tithe. Uh, if I was you, I'd get down on my knees and repent before God. Oh God, please deliver me from the slavery to money. I want to love you first. He needs at least your first income. The sixth principle, make sure your devotion is to God and not to money. So this is what we've seen about money matters. We need to understand because Jesus tells us this for our good, to set us free. Be shrewd. Be generous. You're a manager, not an owner. It's a tool to reach people for eternity. Be faithful with what you got. Make sure your loyalty is to God and not money. Two things in closing. Randy Alcorn is one of our best writers about money and financial things. In fact, we've got his little book, Treasure Principle, in our bookstore. Uh, we've got in our library, uh, some few months back, somebody bought a thousand copies. We gave them away. About 90 pages. Excellent summary of God's wisdom about money. In one of his writings, he, he leaves this, um, he gives us this declaration to commit yourself to, and you might consider it. You, you probably could go find it on our website under Senior Pastor or just get, go to one of his books. This is what he said. It's very good. 
This is a declaration. I hereby acknowledge God's ownership of me and all my money and possessions and everything else I've ever imagined belonged to me, including my family and loved ones. Instead of seeing myself as the ultimate recipient, I will see myself as God's delivery boy or girl, enjoying what he intends me to keep and distributing what he intends to go elsewhere. Delivery boy, delivery girl. The FedEx folks don't keep all the packages. They pass them on. I will do my utmost to ask him and to prayerfully consider how he wishes me to invest his assets to further his kingdom. In doing so, I realize I will surrender certain temporary earthly treasures, but gain in exchange eternal treasures, as well as increased perspective and decreased anxiety. And then he gives you a place. You can sign it. Yep, I'm going to commit to that. And those kind of lifetime commitments are so helpful. Now, church, let me just close. There's a, there's a movie 20 years ago that was very powerful. It was on the Holocaust. Many of you remember it. It's a Steven Spielberg movie starring Liam Neeson called Schindler's List. Those of you who are at least my age or not even my age, uh, you probably saw this. It won Best Picture. And um, it was a tr- based on a true story of a man during World War II by the name of Oscar Schindler, who was not Jewish, Gentile. He joined the Nazi party because there were some political advantages. He ran a factory. He wanted to make money during the war, seize the day. And he began hiring Jews because he could hire them cheaply. But as time went by, he realized how evil, insidious the Nazis were, and how they began sending Jews to death camps, Auschwitz and others. And he just, he had enough in his conscience, enough in his heart, I cannot stand by. And he uh, began hiring more Jews at extra expense to himself to work in his factory. Just, I, I need these folks working just so they wouldn't be sent to the death camp. And by the end of the war, he had 1,100 Jews working for him because he wanted to protect them from the death camp. And if you've seen the movie, you know at the, the, the movie ends, Germany surrenders. He knows he has to flee because of some of the things he's done. Uh, before he leaves, he gathers with the 1,100 Jews that work for him. It's at night. It's at a train station before they go their separate ways. And the, the Jews, including his main accountant, uh, come to him and, and want to express their deep appreciation that they rescued you. We, we are alive because of you. And they had written this letter, and all 1,100 had signed it. And then he said, we've got something else for you. We've got a, a gold ring in which we have inscribed a saying from the Talmud that says, he who saves one life saves the entire world. And when Schindler heard that, played by Nisan, he just sort of broke down, just overwhelmed that, you know, 1,100 lives People are living because of him. And and he just was struck that he wasted so much money that he could have used to save more. And he started saying, you know, I I, I could have saved so many more. And they try to comfort him and encourage him. No, no, it's it's great what you did. And then after the movie ends, the credits come up and and there's a statement that there are 5,000 people alive today because of Oscar Schindler's 1,100 Jews that he saved. And probably today, 22 years later, it's probably 10,000. Now, just think about that. Um, if I could have lived in World War II 
and had a hand in rescuing people like that. I mean, what meaning, how, what, how exciting would that have been? And what would I have done? What would you have done? You would have rescued people and give them another 30, 40, maybe 50 or 60 years of life on the planet. Friends, what you and I get to do is so much bigger today. We rescue a 25-year-old man in Lebanon. We rescue little children over in our children's ministry, teenagers, folks throughout Houston, Ecuador, Spain, not for 30, 40, 50 years, but for all eternity, they have life. They have true life. (laughs) Friends, that is the best investment of your money that you could possibly do. God wants you to enjoy things. I enjoy things. But he wants you to be part of the great privilege of making friends for eternity and rescuing precious people. This is our privilege. This is not our obligation. This is our privilege. Stand with me. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this is your day. Free gift. It's the only really free gift. Just breathe a prayer and say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Come and save me. He'll do it. He'll do it. You were made for him. Lord, for the rest of us, I pray, Lord God, that you would rescue every single person at Wood's Edge from financial bondage of whatever kind. Lord God, none of us are, you know, mistake free. We all make mistakes. We pray that you'd guide us in using your money well. Lord, I thank you for the incredible generosity of Wood's Edge folks, and it's because they love you. Lord, pour out generosity for the kingdom, for Christ's sake, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.